Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Market Rundown with Sean Hackett. Sean, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good, Mr. Casey. Wild, uh, wild times. Volatility is not the problem anymore. <laughs> no, that's true. That's, uh, instead of interday ups and downs, we have pretty much just interday straight ups. So, um, yeah, I guess. You know, we, we've talked about the corn thing, and it opened up huge. Uh, I got my, my 6.30 alert this morning, you know, when markets opened up. And um, December corn's at 4.51 and a half. July corn's at 4.35 and seven and three quarters. Uh, I'm sorry, 4.35 and three quarters. And then, um, so that puts, uh, puts December corn open up this morning at 14 and a half. And July corn up at 15 and a half. Of course, beans followed that along with it. You know, you're up almost 30 cents across the board um, on the July and November contracts. Wheat is all up too. Um, now, that's all good. That's all great. You know, we've, we've been talking about how we need a, some event somewhere to, to kind of point us in the direction of upward uh, prices in commodities. And, and, and we've got that with plane delays that we're seeing now. We're, we've, we've kind of passed that threshold. Um, I looked at 10 day forecast of where I'm at out here in Western Nebraska. And there are four days, I think in there that don't have three in a row that don't have any, any rain in the forecast and one kind of by itself and everything else around that is a 20 plus percent chance of rain. Pretty similar across the corn belt and everywhere else, the further East you get back there. So high prices are good. That's awesome. We've been waiting for that. What happens when you don't have enough crop to uh, offset these new prices that come up and, and there's a lot of prevent plant in there and, and that that aren't going to get that 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 big number right now and you know I, I guess I guess what's the overall outcome going to look like if yeah we get high prices but we don't have a lot of bushels to to add up those high prices. Well, it's always the rub that if you're the if you're the country or you're the area that has the bad weather. And you're the one that has the short crop and you're the reason why the prices have risen. You don't really benefit that much because what you gain in price, you lose in volume and you walk away. And of course, if you don't, if, if you miss the top or you, you don't set, you know, you, you get greedy and you don't sell the higher prices and then they fall and then you sell, you know, all of a sudden you walk away with, with, with income that's, um, that's subpar. And of course, prevent plants, obviously not the way to maximize your, right. your income. So it's, you know, it's, it's a tough situation. I mean, what I would say, though, and, and this is a thing to kind of keep in mind, that I do not think that we are the only country that's going to have poor weather this growing season. Right. With the first one to have it, but I see all kinds of problems in Asia. I see all kinds of problems developing in Russia that there could be some additional weather that could come into play maybe later on in the mid to late summer that could cause our prices to move up for other reasons. And that might offer the opportunity for farmers to maybe lock in a better price for next year's crop when they hopefully can have better weather, more acres and a bigger crop. And so I think, I think you just kind of have to say to yourself, you know, we're not going to have the volume this year. There's nothing we can do about it other than, 
do the best we can, but we can possibly have a big crop next year and lock in high prices while everyone's bullish. And that's something to really, really keep in mind is to keep your eye on the, uh, squarely on the ball for next year uh, when we probably will have better outcome than this year. And so um, that's what we'll be looking to do for our customers and is try time when they should be thinking about selling next year's crop, and getting locking those prices, whether it's with put options or, or sales or however they want to do it, but futures sales. But I mean, that, that's something really, really important because it could be a big income generator next year if you get a high price and a big crop next year. Um, you know, if you wait and the prices get crushed next year, then, then, then you don't benefit either. <laughs> so, yep. Okay, so let's talk about the effects that we're going to see with old crop now. So we've got, and, and, and how that affects the overall quality of what we see happening out there. So um, we'll start with winter wheat. Winter wheat right now is you're getting a lot of rain on wheat when it doesn't need to be getting a lot of rain on wheat. We need a little bit of temperature right now to kind of push that through its its, uh, its process here. And, and especially when the areas that we're at, um, we're anywhere from, depending on where you're at, it could be two weeks. It could be, 60 days before you're ready to cut the wheat but the stuff that's two weeks out it's getting a lot of rain on it right now and that's really honestly not the best time to do that so protein is a big thing with with uh with wheat and we, there's a good chance that the wheat that we have might have big bushels but low protein and that, that the overall quality is going to be there so you're going to start looking at wheat for feed and how that competes with corn and those kind of things and i guess, I guess so what do you see some dynamics there in the wheat market well, right now, that what the corn market is doing is trying to ration demand. I mean, when you, when we, if we're going to have six, seven, eight million acres not get planted, whatever the yield outcome is, I mean, we have to cut demand down. So we're, we're jacked up the corn price to force exports down, to force ethanol demand down, and to force feed to go look for other sources, which we think low-quality wheat will be in high supply, meaning we think there'll be an abundant extra supply of low-quality wheat that will be suitable for feed, but not suitable for baking needs and pastas and things that 12% protein Kansas City wheat is supposed to be used for. Um, and so that, that's another thing that's going to start eating away at maybe even feed demand domestically from corn so that the corn market doesn't, you know, get, doesn't run out and, and keeps itself together while we try to figure out exactly what the yield might outlook might be. And so there's a... At, at four fifty and a five dollar corn, demand destruction is going to be fairly severe, and I do think that that's enough to keep the corn market in balance, uh, at least for a little while, and, and and push some demand over to wheat feed at this point and everything else. So, so keep in mind that this, that that dynamic is there, um, and then the question just becomes modulating the yield. You know, is is the yield going to be five percent below trend, ten percent below trend? Can we have a trend line yield crop? I mean, no one thinks that we can, but the reality is. We haven't had one of these since 93. We haven't really tested the new farming practices. We haven't tested the new genetics really with this kind of weather before. So we really don't know if we're going to perform any better than 93 or it's just going to be a disaster for yields like 93. And that's what we're about to find out. That's what yeah. we're about to find out. Absolutely. Okay. So soybeans have been following along with that and they've been having huge day over day um, increases in, in price and, and big runs up. Um, but at the same time, there's nine times the amount of, of soybeans out there as we need as far as carryout goes. And I, I guess talk to me about that a little bit. And, and is it just corn fall or soybeans falling corn and that's what we're seeing happen there? Or is there some legitimate concern now that 
that the uh, after June first planting dates of, of soybeans that there could be some some yield loss there. Well, I think I think everyone didn't believe that we could have a poor planting season ever again, ever. I mean, I just think the market felt that there was no way we'd ever have a poor planting season, given that we can plant the crop in ten days. Uh, now that we've shocked the market and we've shocked the short speculators into understanding that we actually can have a poor crop, uh, a poor planting season. Now there's worry that if we can get, if we move into mid June and the rains continue and we're still falling behind that we could be in the same place with soybean acres in mid June as we are in corn acres now, meaning you pass the point of no return. If you start planting, you know, soybean acres beyond mid June, you can still get them in the ground mid June. It could still work out, but beyond mid June. So we're rapidly moving towards D day for soybeans like we are now for corn. And I think the market is so afraid of what they just experienced in corn, thinking it couldn't happen, that they're now putting in some, some weather premium, it, it, thinking that, well, maybe it will happen for soybeans too. Um, and so that's the, there's an element going on there with that as well. And, and I think it's justified. I don't think anyone looking at the next two-week forecast can take a whole lot of comfort that soybeans won't have problems getting its acres in the ground. Um, and so... So I think there's that dynamic going on that now that the market is sobered up to the idea that this is, in fact, a poor planting season, that soybeans could get swept up in the mix. And obviously yields you know, certainly could be hurt by it. Now, now, now obviously, you know, we'd have to hurt the yields a whole lot more to get ourselves into trouble. We're in corn. I think we already are in trouble. But nonetheless, it's still a reason to put – I mean, think about it. We were at $9 beans. We got crushed to 8 So now we're in the mid-8s, upper 8s. We haven't even gotten our way back to where we were. So, so we should keep the soybean rally in perspective. Corn making new highs. Soybeans just trying to get back to where it was. So there is a difference in the fundamentals there. Right. Okay. All right. So cattle market's been getting beat up here of late. And you know, we kind of – well, let me jump back one more thing. So if you take a look, the, these prices we're seeing in, in this corn, I mean, it's just been an upward movement. And it's, it, it's we're up almost a dollar over what it was this time two or three weeks ago and yep. we're getting there real close how much longer do you think this this rally can last and 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 how, how much more can you feed the bull well based upon delayed planting i don't think you can feed the corn bull anymore on delayed planting we're, we're done in my opinion we're done i mean we can argue how many got planted not get planted and we have another week to go but i mean i think the market is trading the maximum worst case scenario for planting right now based upon what they see over the next week or so. So, so I, I think if we're going to feed the bull, we're going to have to feed the bull something different, either another weather problem somewhere else in the world, or we're going to have to feed them uh, some yield concern. You know, crop conditions look terrible from where they're supposed to be. We haven't gotten those yet, you know? So I, I think we're, 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 we're in a transition, and this could be a period where the corn market pauses. We even could correct for a little while while the market goes from delayed planting concerns to yield concerns and so i don't think we can really pump this market up much more on the crops not getting planted i think that was this week's trade you know okay all right so do you do you foresee that there's some, a leveling out here in the market moving forward or do you feel like there's going to be some huge volatility volatile swings that start taking place you know we have these 10 15 20 cent swings inside the day and and it kind of runs all over the place or kind of what's your thought moving forward on the market I think we're going to have more volatility. We're going to have some downside volatility. I mean, remember that the, the outside world is very bearish macro right now. We have you know a very strong dollar still. Global economy continues to look very very poor to us. The China trade war not helping. 
you know, there's just a lot of, of, of headwinds that we're continuing to face that I think can overwhelm uh, the grain marks, especially after a big run-up and cause, you know, some, some large corrections to the downside. Like, you know, like you said, 20 cents down on corn. It, it, it's just a correction. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a, what a market does after it's had a big move. It just needs to consolidate. Consolidate means it starts to go back and forth in some kind of a range, in a volatile range, while the market assesses, did it do enough? Or does it need to do more? And I don't think it's going to get that answer until we get further into June, early July, and we get the chance to see crop conditions, you know, how we're moving, what the weather is doing as we move into July, because pollination is going to be a little later this year. You know, I just think there's a lot of questions that the market's going to be probably unwilling to press this market much higher um, and, and is susceptible to some profit taking as we go along. So I agree with that. Okay. So weather's just, I mean, the weather's going to be a big deal all the way through the growing cycle. Normally, it's, it's not going to be just the planting cycle, but it's got the pollination cycle. And if that moves in too late into October, um, and there's still some some areas where frost is start, starting to play an effect in, in October, uh, late September, early November timeframes, uh, depending on when pollination takes place, that could also have a huge effect on, on what we see happen at the markets as well. We're going to be on pins and needles, Casey, for the rest of the growing season. I mean, yeah, I mean, we planted late. We're going to we're going to be harvesting late. Frost dates are going to come into play. Obviously, August is critical for soybeans. You know, if it turns hot and dry, which we told we talked about the other day, that it's not unusual that you go from cool and wet all of a sudden it just switches to hot and dry, um, and then all of a sudden soybeans are in a, a heap of trouble um, at the wrong time. And so, yeah, I mean, given this very very poor start. Um, we're just going to be on pins and needles on anything that doesn't quite go right from here. And so what that means is a lot of volatility um, in the market. But, but as a producer, you do have to keep in mind that you have to sell uh, upside volatility when it get, you know, when, when we get these big moves, you, you do need to sell that, you know, you need yeah. to you need to keep pricing that it doesn't mean you sell the whole thing in one day, but you got to keep rewarding it because these are pretty good prices than we've had in a while. They make it better, but you know, you don't lose the, the, the idea that eventually weather markets always come to an end and it comes to an end abruptly when we least expect it. And we, you don't want to be caught having too much corn or something is not sold at a price that you know isn't too bad compared to what you were looking at just a few weeks back. Yep, absolutely. Okay, All right, so let's jump over to the beef complex and in, in the hog complex as well. China came out with a, uh, <clears throat> how'd they put it, they're testing a, uh, a new vaccine for the African swine fever that's that's sweeping through the area. Um, obviously, that drove down the price of, of hogs a little bit over here. Um, but there's a <clears throat> that that's spread into which is into Vietnam. It's it's, it's spread into all over uh, basically Southeast Asia. It's kind of creeping into that area too, which is again another large pork producing uh, or, or pork consuming countries as well. You yeah. see here, um, my personal opinion is I think China just said that because they wanted to buy some cheaper hogs. I don't think they actually, I think they might have something, but in order for them to get 100 million pigs vaccinated and everything, I mean, it's, it's a huge ordeal. It's not like it's just an overnight thing. So um, I guess what's your thoughts on the on the hog, uh, the hog price right now in, in the hog market and what you see happening there compared to what you see happening with uh, the African swine fever and how that's still playing into the market, it sounds like. Well, once once we escalated the trade war, um, they've been on this propaganda kick uh, to try to say they're fine, everything's great, they're under control, 
And so all of this, they're pumping out all this news to say that, you know, they don't need us and all. And this vaccination, of course, they're working on a vaccination. So are we. So is the whole world working on a vaccination. We will eventually find a vaccination, whether it's six months, 12 months, two years, nobody knows. But it's probably not anytime soon enough to avoid the supply crisis that we're dealing with. But it's a way for China, as you said, to kind of kick the can down the road a little bit, cause a correction in the market, allow them to buy some pork at cheaper prices that they know they have to buy anyway. They're just gaming the market, in our opinion. I mean, what else are they going to say? We have no shot. We have no clue what we're doing. We have no vaccine in works. Of course, they're going to say that because it serves their best interest to do so. But I view all of that as really just grandstanding on their part, not anything material. And at a time when you got to think of it this way, the speculators, the short speculators in grains have got absolutely creamed. I mean, they've got just run over. And there was a lot of those same speculators that were along the hog market. So when you've just gotten ripped apart, lost all kinds of money, volatility is going up, uh, and, your, and your job as, as, a, as a money manager is to reduce risk, you not only reduce your shorts, you reduce your longs to try to reduce size and get yourself back into balance. And so I think there's some collateral damage where hogs are being sold because the gray markets are ripping the shorts apart and they're, and they're being forced to sell hogs, not because they want to, but because they have to reduce size positions because their margins got out of, out of whack. So there's a lot of dynamics going up. But bottom line is there's a tremendous opportunity here when the dust settles to buy hogs. Uh, if you're an end user, um, you know, I wouldn't surprise me at all to see a big surprise week where the Chinese have a, a massive buy-in to U.S. pork out of nowhere and it'll be limited up again. So, so you know, we think there's a buy here in, in hogs probably within the next week. You know, maybe a week and a half. We don't. We don't think there's going to be much more of this to the downside. The the problem is too big for it to be down for too long, in our opinion. Yeah. So, so the same thing with the cattle complex. I mean, we've seen the exact same thing again. You know, the funds were record short in corn, and like you said, just getting their heads ripped off. And then now, all of a sudden, they were long, record long in um on in, in protein. So obviously, beef is part of that. Yes. Similar situation you see happening there. Yeah, we were getting also collateral damage, long liquidation in cattle, same, same, same dynamic. Uh, the other thing, of course, like with feeder cattle, the corn market goes up a lot. We know there's a negative correlation between corn prices going up and feeder cattle come under pressure because of, you know, the cost increases and such for feeder cattle. So, so that relationship is understandable. And, but at the same time, we, we, we don't have the same um, sensitivity to Chinese buying because the Chinese never really were buying a lot of our, of our beef. They were buying a lot of pork so so i think there's probably you know there's probably less risk to long liquidation going forward over the next week or week and a half in cattle than there might still be in hogs i think i think cattle's probably at a place where it'll just sit here and if it still needs long liquidation it'll probably go sideways where the hog market could probably still get knocked down a few more rungs before before clearing out the decks because don't forget the cattle market had already been liquidating before this happened the hog market just got started you know, about a week ago. So hogs probably got a little more length to lose. I think cattle's pretty much lost most of the length it needs to lose to, to keep the speculators uh, in, a, you know, in the position they need to be in right now. So yeah, Absolutely. Okay, well, one last thing. Let's talk about oil real quick. Oil has been um, uh, on a pretty aggressive upward movement here of late. Um, there's been some, you know, obviously volatility there with what's happened with Iran, <clears throat> what we see happening there. Um, but domestically, the West, uh, West Texas intermediate has been uh, on an upward upward trend here of late so let's talk about oil a little bit what you see happening there and how that's going to affect some of the overall traditional markets like like corn 
Well, I mean, uh, we have two things working in the crude oil market. We have this concern over crude oil demand because of a slowing global economy. And so, so when the geopolitical comes down, we tend to get a setback. And then, and then the geopolitical fires up, and then we get a rally. Overall, though, what's been happening is that the geopolitical and the supply constraint concerns have overpowered concerns over a slowing economy. Um, and, and, and it doesn't appear to us that the geopolitical side is going to get any less worrisome. Uh, to us, I mean, it looks like you know, we're just in a very unstable, angry time, and we think that any correction that comes, like we had a little bit of a correction in the last couple of days um, due to uh, concerns over the economy, are probably going to be short-lived, and it's going to continue to keep the, um, the, crude, oil mile, the crude oil market uh, you know, on the higher side here. But the bigger problem for ethanol producers right now is the corn market's moving up so fast that we haven't had, to have, we haven't had enough time with the ethanol price to respond. And so we're kind of caught right now with poor margins. But over time, if we can maintain a higher crude price, we will eventually normalize the, uh, you know, the ethanol margins again and get that going. But we're kind of stuck in this air pocket where you know, the ethanol margins are really, really poor again. And it's going to you know, keep them back from buying corn at least for a little while. But hopefully, if the crude oil market can stay up here, that will normalize itself once corn kind of calms down and consolidates and lets the market catch up. You just you can't catch up after when the market moves up a dollar in a couple of weeks. It's just not enough time for markets to react. Yep, absolutely. All right, Sean, plenty of stuff going on. Uh, folks want to reach out to you and get some more information about what we're talking about here or just uh, just get in contact with you. What's the best way to do that? Our website's the best at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Uh, all kinds of information of webinars and uh, interviews and things about what we do. And hopefully um, if they like our work, um, uh, you know, we can possibly help them with these crazy markets we're dealing with. And we'd be glad to do that. Right on, Sean. All right, Sean, we'll take care of yourself and we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good, Mr. Casey. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Mellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher.